Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Thank you. Great, great truth. As you turn to Luke 8, I want to say I've enjoyed the music today. I love the choir this morning. I love every part. And George, you're singing along and just enjoyed the worship. It's truly been encouragement to my heart. Luke chapter 8 this evening. We started this morning and we mentioned there are two different stories that intertwine themselves in this section of Scripture uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, actually there's a section of Scripture before what we went dealt this morning and then after. So just an introduction, we're going to read a few verses prior uh, to what we dealt with this morning. So Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse number 40, the Bible says, And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And behold, there came a, na- a man named Jairus. And he was the ruler of the synagogue and fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, tonight, for the moments we have together, we ask you to move in our midst. We're grateful, Lord, for the service this morning, for the music to both services, Lord, and how, Lord, we know how much music prepares our heart. Uh, for your time. And Lord, for these few moments as we reevaluate a uh, familiar passage, Lord, I pray that we'd listen on purpose. I pray we listen to your Holy Spirit and allow him to teach us and to encourage us tonight as we evaluate a very, very important passage of Scripture. Lord, may you speak to us, may we listen, and we look forward to these few moments. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at this section of Scripture, what we get to is what happened before the woman who touched the hem of the garment of Jesus, as we mentioned this morning. So there's this centurion, this soldier named Jairus, and he, he had tried all kinds of things similar to the lady this morning and, and, and found that his only daughter was about to die. Now, having a daughter, I can only imagine everything I would go through to do what I could to help my daughter. And so you understand, this is a person in a position of authority that really wasn't supposed to like Jesus. Uh, he was supposed to kind of be against him, and he hears about this Jesus who can heal, and kind of what he says is, I'm going to set aside all my political views and all my opinions, and I'm going to go see if this Jesus will take care of my daughter. And he finds himself in a horrendous scenario because he comes, he comes out and he talks to Jesus. And of course, Jesus immediately says, of course, and he begins to make his way to the house of Jairus. Well, the problem is, as he's doing this, this crowd begins to come around Jesus and everything we talked about this morning begins to take place. Now, if I were Jairus, I'd be coming a little frustrated. You know, all of you can be healed in a minute. You know, my daughter's in a bigger, a more important scenario. And frankly, if she's dying, he would be right. And yet he, he's coming and he's excited, maybe excited. Maybe. God is going to do, this Jesus is going to do what I asked him to do. 
There is a chance that my daughter will live through the day. And this excitement builds up, and then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He stops in the midst of his journey to the house of Jairus to talk or look to see who touched him. Can you imagine what must have been going through Jairus' mind at the moment? Hey, who cares who touched you? She got healed. Let's move on. Just from his perspective, how frustrating that might have been. You know, I wonder if there are times in our lives, we mentioned this a little bit this morning, when we ask the question, is God listening? Psalm 13, verse 1, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever, how long wilt thou hide my face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Notice David at the end there. Light my eyes, lest I die. Uh, David's probably exaggerating a little bit here, but you see the, the expression, and he starts off and says, Lord, how long will you forget me. And that's what I said. I say, I love reading the book of Psalms because you get to see. Remember, David, the author of these Psalms, was a man, he called a man after God's own heart. So if he is speaking this strongly to God, it is the type of relationship that God is looking for. Honesty, reality of where we are. There are also some things that come into our lives that we often find ourselves believing maybe this circumstance is too big for God. We would never say that. And this morning's message defeats that, but it's easy to begin to wonder that. Now, we know technically, theologically, that God can do anything, but some things just don't seem to be in our reach even with the Lord. So let me give you an example of how sometimes having a great knowledge of theology can become negative. It's not negative, but if we allow it to be. Uh, let me ask you a question you know, in Ephesians, it says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. How many of you agree God can do anything? Raise your hand. All right. Can you imagine that being a problem? Let me tell you where it hit me as a problem a couple years ago. I, I believe that. I had people tell me, hey, God can do anything. I know. I believe that. I be- I've seen him. I've seen him do miraculous things, Right? So here comes the problem. If God can do anything, why isn't he doing this? And if we're not careful, that can begin to work its way into our mind. If God is powerful enough to do everything and anything he wants, why is he choosing not to do whatever it is that is in front of you right now? For the next few moments, I want to talk in just this idea. It's, a, it's from a phrase that Jesus uses later in the passage we'll look at, only believe. We can become so frustrated because we don't see God working in our situation, sometimes even in the chaos. So we look at this tonight, we want to say, what do we do? What do we do when everything seems to fall apart? When everything seems to fall apart. I'm going to look at three things tonight from this passage. The first thing we're going to look at is the appeal. When this man comes to Jesus, he says in verse 42, uh, for he had only one daughter about 12 years of age and she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So he brings this appeal. And the first thing we see are different things that got in the way of what this man wanted. And the first one was people. Other people got in the way. They they had all their needs and they had needs too. But he was excited and he was on a timeline here. And he was going to go back and see his daughter be saved or healed. And now all of a sudden other things got in the way. I believe this all my heart. Satan will use all kinds of distractions to keep us from trusting 
in God. He might just flat out use unbelief. I don't believe that God will or can do this. He might convince us or use other people. Other people tell you, it just won't work. I have been, I've been in church my entire life. I was born uh, in a pastor's home. Two weeks later, for what I was told, I really don't remember it, but two weeks later, I'm in church. And then I went to college and went back. I've been in church my entire life. And you think this would be abnormal, but every once in a while, when we really, we're moving forward, we're asking God to do something, someone will come up and say, you know, I just don't think that's going to work. You know, they're just the pessimists. You know, my wife sometimes calls them the realists, right? You know, I joke, I'm like the eternal optimist, which means my wife says I don't pay attention to facts. My wife is the realist in the home. She goes, you forgot about these things. And sometimes when you hear, you know, people look at it and they say, we tried it this way or it didn't work. And if we're not careful, we can allow the opinions or thinkings of other people to be a distraction. Can I, can I encourage you, when God is doing and work in your life, he's not necessarily doing the same work in someone else's life. What he's doing for you, he's doing for you. Because you don't have the same battle as someone else does. You don't have the same history as someone else does. You don't have, therefore, the same answer as someone else does. And so, yeah, what other people may say, it may not, because how they're approaching is differently. But I'm going to be honest, one of the things I think that gets in our way more than anything today is simply distractions. We can become so distracted. Let me give you an example of, of where I see this in Scripture. The Apostle Peter is following Jesus. He, 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 he and his disciples, friends, were told to go across the other side of the sea, and a storm comes, a storm that Jesus knew was coming. And as they're bailing the water out from the boat, all of a sudden they look and they see a ghost walking on the water. Now, I've always wondered, why did it seem normal for a ghost to be on the water instead of Jesus? But for somehow, that's their first thought. We, we see the impossible before we see God moving. So he walks up, he comes to the boat, and, and Peter with his just, you know, he opens his mouth and, and, he, he, and Jesus says, it is I be not afraid. And Peter goes, and it just doesn't make sense to me, you really think about it. I don't believe it's you. Let me walk on the water. I mean, those two don't go together. But he says, if it's you, let me come out. And a lot of people, I've read a lot on this, and a lot of people love to criticize Peter's lack of faith when he gets out there. But here's the thing that's always crossed my mind. How, if he was so, if he had such lack of faith, how come none of the other 11 got out of the boat? I mean, just you saw him doing it. I want to try that too. You would think that one more person would want to try that. So Peter gets out, he walks, he's walking on water, but you know it's a storm. It's a pretty serious storm. So while he's walking in the water, in the midst of this storm, you know what's going through Peter's mind. Peter's a fisherman. He'd been on the sea multiple times, and all of a sudden, instead of looking at Jesus, who is allowing him to defy the laws of physics, and he is allowed to enjoy this amazing miracle, something tells Peter, you shouldn't be able to do this. He, he, the storm has always been there. The waves were always there when he got out of the boat. But somehow, in the midst of God doing something amazing, he looked at the storm and he said, you know what, maybe this storm is just going to be a little too much for Jesus. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm walking in water, that doesn't matter. And immediately he got distracted because he was no longer looking at the Almighty God who was helping him enjoy a miracle. He looked at his circumstances and he became distracted. And all of a sudden, all of these things begin to consume him. Now, what are the things that I think are being distracting? Well, I think a lot of them are, are necessary things of life. Uh, one, uh, one man said that we can be consumed. In Scripture, we can consume with the cares of the world. 
Now, some people immediately look at the phrase, the cares of the world is bad. What are some cares of the world? Well, we have to put food on the table. We have to take care of our children. We have to, there's a lot of good cares in the world that we have to deal with. But if we're not careful, those cares can become so important to us that they distract us from the God who can actually deal with those things. So, you know, he tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But that pa- right before that passage in Corinthians, Paul's telling the church of all the things. He named a bunch of the things from the world. He goes, all these things do the Gentiles seek after. He goes, the world is consumed with these things. He said, but what I want you to see is that you don't need to be consumed with these. Seek God, let him deal with those things. So we, distractions can become so easily heavy. This Sunday, or a week ago Sunday, I was preaching in, in Acts chapter 13. If you've studied it, it's where Apostle Paul, where he becomes called Paul, and he, they get sent out. Paul and Barnabas get sent out, and they go on their first missionary journey. And they get to the first place they're going, and they bump up with a guy that the Bible calls Bar-Jesus. He's basically, uh, he's, a, he's a fake, he's a sorcerer per se. And so the, the leader of the town is trying to get Paul to come over and talk. And this other guy continues to say, don't listen to this guy, he's a liar. Nothing but a distraction. We simply said when Satan gets in the way. You know what intrigued me was in the passage that when Paul saw this, he immediately stopped and he looked at the man and said, stop. Here, here, here's the thing though. The Bible talks about the idea that Paul was filled with the Spirit. He recognized the distract, and he recognized what God, Satan was trying to do, and he responded immediately. Well, how, how is it in the midst of time when things seem to be falling apart? How do we not get distracted? We do not, how do we not get overwhelmed? And I'm going to give you a million-year-old explanation to it, and it's simply, I need to be in the Word of God in prayer. I need to be walking with God. So that I can recognize the distraction. I can recognize. I know what to do. I'm not stuck wondering, how did I get here? What's going on? Because when I walk with God, well, I will be surprised by things. I have His power to be able to overcome it. So there's, I think sometimes one of the things that gets in the way is we're too busy trying to solve the problems ourselves. Instead of just stopping and letting God take care of it. There's people, it's first part of his battle, but then there became a problem. I won't read the scripture tonight because we dealt with it this morning, but verse 43 to 48 deal with this lady that came in. And so I won't go through and read, talk about the story we dealt with this morning, but let me just give you some thoughts from that section of scripture that apply what would be in Jairus' situation. And here's something I wrote down years ago when I was thinking, I think it's so true. Sometimes, if we're not careful, it, can, it sometimes can seem to get worse before it gets better. You see, here, here's what happens, at least from my point of view. I, as I said this morning, I see the scenario I'm in, and it per- my personality, I'm a fixer. Uh, that's not always good in my marriage. You know, sometimes wise when you tell your husbands what's going on, you don't want them to fix it. You just want them to listen. I had to learn that one real quick because it got bad, but I wanted to fix it. So when things come up, let's go solve the problem, which is not always the right move, but that's me. So when I see a situation, I'm like, i got to solve this, and i got to do this, and God's like, wait, let me deal with it. So he allows the situation to get worse. He allows my time there to take longer because he wants me to just stop. And sometimes he hasn't taught me everything I need to know about me, about him. And so it'll feel like things are just falling apart. It seems longer before it gets over. It seems darker before the end. And it seems impossible 
before God intervenes. Vance Havner, an old evangelist years ago, used to say, before God does the incredible, he starts with the difficult, and before he does the miraculous, he starts with the impossible. Some we look at our scenario and say everything's falling apart, and it seems like God's just letting it get worse. And so we look at the problem we're at, it seems worse. Then, then there's pain. The verse 49, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. I'll be honest, every time I look at this, I, I consider myself, I couldn't imagine what he was going through at this point. If there's anything that scares a parent any more than anything, it's hearing what was just told to this man. It's something that happened to their family. And so he, he's excited, he, and the, the crowd's uh, slowing Jesus down, and he's probably getting frustrated. And while he's waiting, or maybe he's begging Jesus to move, maybe he's trying to get Peter to move Jesus out. We don't really know what he's doing at this time. And then all of a sudden, someone pulls him aside, and he says, listen, sir, your, your daughter's passed away. Leave the master alone. Let's go home. I can't imagine what that must have been like for, for Jairus at this time. It simply just seemed too late. This is a pain of hopelessness. This pain will bring frustration. Why did he not answer? This pain can bring confusion. I don't understand why God would allow this. How could anything beautiful come from this? And we can get, and this is where we find ourselves at one of the lowest points. Because at least for me, at this point, whenever situation you're in, nothing seems to make sense. And it seems like everything has fallen apart. The other day I was talking to a pastor at this conference I'm at, and he said, he goes, you know, I've learned this. God is always just on time. And I said, no, no, sometimes I think he's late. The point is this. He's not always on my time. Oh, it's when I think it needs to happen. But God's timing is perfect so that nobody can ever wonder if it's me. And it has to be him. And boy, it requires us just to stop. If you look at the section of Scripture that deals with Elijah as he's running from Jezebel, he had just dealt, um, he, just, he was just running away. He just told the entire town it was going to be a famine. He was the number one most wanted man. His famine was going to bring economic ruin to a farming community. And so he's running away. So he gets up to the brook Cherith where God told him to get. And what does he do? He sits there. He pictures it. He's by a brook. He's waiting as the water's coming down. He drinks in the brook and animals, birds are going to come feed him. Can you imagine what must have been going through his mind as the brook, because of the famine, just kept getting less and less and less water? You don't ever hear him complaining to God what's going on. He just sat there and waited until God moved him. And then you know what his next job was? To go down to the wood of Zarephath and here's what he was supposed to do. This widow, he gets there. She's got enough food for herself and her son for one more meal. And this preacher says, give it to me. You know, a lot of people look at the woman and say, that's a lot of faith. I don't know if as a preacher I could do that. And, and he said, take care. And God did take care of that. But as he waited, as he waited, he sat and he had to just wait for God to move. And sometimes it does seem like the brook's drying up and it seems like God's not moving. And that's when we begin to see God Move more. Let's look at number two, the promise. He gives us gives him promise in verse 50. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, 
she shall be made whole. So there's an appeal. He comes in and things seem to be getting worse. And finally, at some point, he's, he's, he's distraught. Jesus hears what's happening. And he turns around. And I imagine a calm voice. And he turns around and he looks at Jairus and says, listen, fear not. Believe only. She shall be made whole. This is where the thought of only believe comes from. Sometimes, all the information we have, all the knowledge we have, all the theology we have, all of the things that we know are put to the test. And he says, you know everything. What I want you to do now is just believe. Believe that I'm there. Believe that I'm aware. And believe that I know what is going on. I'm telling you, it is one of the hardest things you will do. Uh, there was a time in my life when I was in this similar scenario. Uh, my younger sister... Uh, I have uh, three siblings, well, two alive. I've, my younger sister was born. I don't remember much about it. I was very young. But when she was born, she was born with what the doctors call a congenital heart disease. Simply put, the bottom left corner of her quarter of her heart did not develop in birth or in, in, in being while she was um, in the womb. So she's only born with three quarters of a heart. She was born. The doctor said, there's no way she's going to live. You can't be missing that much of your heart and live. And so she lived 24 hours, you know, two days, three days a week. And after a couple months, they sent her home with my parents who, what are you going to do? And so as we're growing up, I, I grew up with her. We didn't think anything of it. She was involved in sports. I'll never forget one time we were at a school in Michigan. And uh, the, uh, the teacher, the third and fourth grade teacher, come running into our classroom. And they're like, I need one of the love boys. My brother and I were one grade apart. I need one of the love boys. And so we go running into the hallway. We figured we knew what was going on. Something's happened to our sister. I walk in. She's in third grade. And she's sitting there. And the entire class is panicking. I'm telling you, they, they thought horrible things were happening. We walk in and we're like, oh, she was a shade of purple. Because her heart didn't work right when she would, what the, you would call asthma attacks, it wasn't. She just couldn't breathe. And she would change color. The entire school was panicking. We walked in. Oh, she's fine. Exactly. Oh, she's fine. Just, just give her a minute. She'll go back to normal. And she did. About 10 minutes later, she went back to class. Well, we, you know, when, we, when I was in college and then the doctor over in Philadelphia said, we have a way to solve this. And shortly before, you know, about a year before her 18th birthday, they took her in for a heart transplant. Had to, I mean, there were so many things that had to take place with this. And we're like, the fear that she could die at any point is over. She's getting the rest of her life. We're excited about it. I went back to college. We're all excited. God, look what God's done. This is amazing. And literally due to a series of mistakes by a nurse, a small bit of rejection began to develop behind the heart of my sister, and nobody could find it because it's, it's not something they're used to seeing. And about, actually, as of three days ago, 25 years ago, I got a call from my parents saying, come home. Tanya's not going to make it. I remember getting in the, the plane flying home saying, Lord, that is just not fair. I mean, my dad's a pastor. He's given his life to you. By the time we got back to the hospital, she, I was in North Carolina. By the time we got back to college, she's on all these machines, and she had been basically incoherent for most of the day. I'll never forget sitting in the waiting room, the doctor that had been dealing with my sister for now, She'd been in the hospital for six months waiting for the surgery. So the doctor had become very close with my sister and my family. So he comes walking in and they've been bringing her back and trying different things. And I'll never forget this. As we're sitting there trying to talk about what to do. And as the doctor walks in, a doctor my dad had been witnessing to for over a year at this point. He walked in and he said, trying to walk all the things they're doing to keep. Now he's an unsaved doctor. That's what you do. Keep her alive. And my dad said, Dr. Donner, please stop. 
Next time her heart stops, would you let her go? And the doctor started arguing with her. No, 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 no. She's such an amazing girl. We've got, we've got to solve this. And he said, I understand, doctor, but we know where she's going. Would you please let her go? I can't imagine what it's like for a parent to do that. And I'm sitting in, I, honestly, at this point, I am a, what, a, a 19 or 20-year-old sophomore in college watching my dad through the worst time a parent could ever go through. And he, he sat there. And now he catches tears flowing down his face. He looked at us and said, this is God's plan. And I just, I sat there in silence. And then 20 minutes later, the doctor walked in and he told us something that we thought we'd never hear. He said, uh, she passed away two minutes ago. The thing that blew my mind is we are in at the time where you think everything's falling apart. I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. You give us 18 years to take her home now. The doctor walked away. He was in tears. He walked away and I'll never forget. A song that I had heard so many times at funerals, but frankly didn't mean a whole lot until that night. My dad over in the corner, fighting through tears, just started singing, but just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Touching a hand and finding it God. And then my sister, who had struggled breathing most of her life, said, of breathing new air. Of course, at that point, we all lost it as we thought about it. He said this, waking up in glory and finding it home. I tell the story differently for different reasons some people think. I don't tell it because of my sister. I tell it because of what I watched in my dad that day. You know, he didn't act like it didn't hurt. But all he could do was think about God has a plan. I remember we're sitting there and he, he, just, he just quietly said, I don't know what God is doing, but I know God is doing something. I'll never forget that. Every time I look at this passage, I think about this. The promises that he gave this man came with strength. He said, fear not. He said, assurance, believe only. And then he promises came with his word. She shall be made whole. I'll never forget as I watched and sitting in that scenario, we went home. I remember waking up the next day, like, what are we going to do? And I'm sitting there and my mom and dad are at the table. And they're having breakfast. And I'm like, this, this is not what you're supposed to do. He goes, no, we're supposed to. And we just begin to talk about And we watch God do miracles. One of the things that was unique at that time, we had had, she was on the news because of her condition quite a bit. So we stood there for the viewing and over a thousand people came to see us. Most of them did not go to church. We were given about $4,000 in um, purgatory time, the money towards purgatory for people who had seen us online or seen us on the news. And they just came forward, and so many people came to the funeral. The, um, many of you know the name Pat Shiraki. She works for, uh, I think it's CBS. She showed up to the funeral. Good friends with my parents. And she showed up. Dr. Donner was there. And we watched as a good friend of my dad came and just preached the gospel. You see, was it okay that people got saved? I'm glad people got saved, but I miss my sister. I think we'd all say that. I don't always understand what God is going to do or why he's going to do it, but he gives a promise that he will always be there with us. He will always help us. He will protect us. And when it seems like everything's falling apart, he knows and he's aware. Let's finish looking at number three, the power. When now he has the power, we see God work. When all things fall, fall apart, what can we expect? Number Verse 51, the first thing we see is this power was personal. And when he had come into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father, 
and the mother and the maiden. So let me explain what happens. Jesus goes back with the family back to the house of Jairus. They go in and there's tons of people. And even in culture, there's a chance there were paid mourners in there. So there's a large amount of people at this house. And they walk in. And by the way, they, they understood enough medicine and medical understanding of the day to know that the daughter had died. Probably the reason Jesus waited as long as he did. And so they go back and he sends all of the other people out and he says, I just want the immediate family to come in the room with me. I also think it's intriguing that he only took Peter, James, and John. Not all 12, just the three, those three apostles. And if I live in those days, I wish I could have been one of those three just to see some of these things. So they walk in and he begins to do something amazing. Let's read a, let's read a couple of these verses here. I'm going to go back to the section I have in a different part here. Verse 51, and when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. Verse 52, and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat, and her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. So the first thing we see about this power is it was personal. He didn't bring everybody in. He didn't want everybody to know about it. He just brought in them and said, you are going to see this, and only you are going to see this. I'm going to take a guess. They probably didn't keep it quiet. But the fact is, he wanted no one else to know as he walked in. When God, often, when God works, he often does it just for us. This shows his love and his care just for me, just for you. He's willing to work even just for me. This is the part, probably one of my favorite parts about a relationship with God is that it's personal. I, I've been around a lot of people in our part, in, in our part, I'm assume, assuming around here as well, but in our part outside of Philadelphia, there's an awful lot of, of Catholic churches. And so when people come to our church and they hear some of the preaching, they come up and they either want to tell me I'm 100% wrong or they want to sit there and say, how is that possible? We've been taught the opposite our entire lives. And the one that grabs the attention of most people is simply this, that God cares that much about me, about us. And it just blows the mind of the people who have, have been given this long-distance idea of God who is right there with us. That personal means, you know, it means He knows the thoughts in your mind that no one else is at and that no one else knows. He knows your battles. He knows your fears. He knows your frustrations and those things that when you, sometimes you're on your knees, you're not even, you're afraid to even talk to God about. He knows those things. You know what he said about that? Call on, come unto me, all ye that are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest into my soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus says. In the times when we feel like we're falling apart, and we might even look and say, we're falling apart because it's my fault. I did this, or I haven't done this. And in all of that, God says, don't worry about it. I'm right here. But you know, not only is it a his power personal too, sometimes it can be persecuted. Verse number 53, they laughed him to scorn because that she, knowing she was dead. They laughed at Jesus because he seemed ignorant at this point. He walks in. Now, please remember, we look at Jesus as he is, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great I am. But you know what they saw Jesus as? A carpenter become preacher. 
That's who he was in those days. And so this carpenter walks in after the doctor has pronounced his daughter dead and said, it's okay, she's just asleep. From the human standpoint, he absolutely looked ignorant. And sometimes we look at that, we say, that's exactly how it works. God, why aren't you doing something? Don't worry about it. I know what's going on. And there are going to be times people in life are going to say, God doesn't care. Don't worry about it. You know what? That thinking goes all the way back to the garden. You ever considered when the serpent was telling Eve all of these different things to get you the fruit, one of the things he told Eve, God is holding out on you. You should be as God's knowing good and evil. He still says the same thing today. God loves you, but he's holding out on you. He's not giving you the best. And that's exactly what he wants us to believe. They knew she was dead. It was a fact. The world saw something they thought was crazy. Jesus saw a chance to show his power. There are a lot of people laughing at Jesus today. They'll tell you that we're better without him. They believe he won't notice them or doesn't seem to care. They believe that they have overcome him. They've moved beyond him. Maybe they have not seen God work in the ways that only God can work because, or maybe we're not, because we're not asking him to. You know, when I think about the way the world looks at it, I'll never forget when I was at this public school, one of the things that a lot of the students would do is they'd bring in their teachers. And it was an after-school Bible, uh, Bible study, so school got over at 2.50, 3 o'clock, the Bible study started. And, and so one time they brought in their math and science teacher. And he, he was going to prove me wrong in evolution. And so he, he asked me a bunch of questions, and frankly, he kept giving me all the science behind uh, evolution. I, I admit, I probably was a little sarcastic, and I looked down and I said, I said, sir, I am listening to all your information, but it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that what you're saying than what God said. I said, you're, you're taking an awful lot for granted. And he caught me afterwards. I really thought he'd be upset. I apologized for the sarcasm. He said, no, 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 no. He, he, go, he goes, you don't understand why I have to believe. This is what he said, why I have to believe in evolution. I mean, why? He said, I hate God so much, I have to believe he doesn't exist. And I thought, what? And honestly, never heard anybody say that. So I tried to use a level of logic. I was a young assistant pastor, and I thought I'm going to use some logic, and I'm going to prove him wrong. And I, the next thing he says blew my mind. I said, let me just consider this. If you're right and God doesn't exist, okay, but if I'm right and God does exist, look what comes next, hell. And he said to me, he goes, Pastor, if I have to spend heaven with God, then it's like hell to me. I was like, excuse me? So I stopped for a second. I'm like, this has got, he claimed to be atheist. And I'm saying, no atheist hates something that doesn't exist that badly. Nobody does. And I looked at him and I was like, let me ask you a question. Did you grow up religious? He's like, how'd you know that? Well, I was like, I've never known anybody who hates God so much unless they've been around a bad church. He grew up in a Catholic church. And some horrible things happened to him in a Catholic church. And as I listened to him, you know what caught my attention? Humanly speaking, he has every right to not like church. And I could understand it. And so he talked to me for a while, and I said, well, I don't blame you for being angry. I said, can we talk about God and less about church for a while? And we got to talk for a while about that and he came for the next three or four weeks asking all of these questions and it simply said he wanted to convince me God was bad and we just kept talking about how God, good God was he just, it, just, it just didn't make sense to him and sometimes the world sees it that way but I wonder sometimes we wonder hey God's not working maybe we just haven't asked him to 
You know, the world, God sometimes brings things into our life to give us a chance for the world to see God working in our lives, if we'll allow him to. Number three, his power prevailed. Verse number 54, and they put them all out. And he took her by the hand and called, saying, Made arise. And her spirit came again, and she rose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. It ultimately prevailed, and the simple promise is there that if God is allowing something into your life that feels like it's falling apart, he will prevail. Somehow in the midst of it, he will make something work that makes absolutely no sense to us because that's how he works. He works in a way that only God can work. Shortly after I moved out to Atlanta area, I'd owned a home in Alabama, and we had some guy that was renting our house. And uh, he came in. I was having a hard time selling it, and so he signed a one-year contract, rent it for a year, and then buy it off me. I had moved up to Atlanta, and I had bought a house in Atlanta with the pending idea that my house in Alabama was sold. And so probably nine or ten months into this process, I'm, I'm in my house, and I'm calling the realtor who was helping us deal with the house. And I said, I haven't heard from this man. And she was let me go, and she drives over to the house. She calls me from the house. She says, you're not going to like this. He's not here. He's moved out. The house is empty. Now, I'm on an assistance pastor's salary, and I have two homes. You know, they said, you can sue him. That was what they said. And then I asked the realtor. She goes, you can't sue him. She goes, why? Because she said, I just found out he claimed bankruptcy. You can't sue him. And I'm like, I got two homes. What am I going to do? And I remember, I remember going, my, my, my wife was there, and I told her, and she just like, what? And where did we make a mistake? Should we not? You know, we begin to doubt all the decisions we made up to that point. And I just thought at this point, there's nothing I can do to fix this. And so we begin to pray. I'll never forget one day, I'm about five weeks out from having to pay a second mortgage, which I did not have the money for. And I'm in my office and I'm on my knees. And I, I mean, the weight of this is so heavy. I'm thinking I'm, 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 I'm going to be in trouble here in just a year. I'm going to have thousands. I don't even know if I have enough credit card space for this. All these things are going through my mind. And I'm on my knees and I'm just begging God to do something. No one had even looked at my house in the last two months. And all of a sudden, while I'm sitting there in my office, God, I, and I, I tell you, this is the only time it's ever happened in my life, God says, just get up and go to work. Almost audibly. It's like I can't pray for it anymore. The burden was gone. I got up thinking, well, uh, I'll just get a different credit card. That's kind of, I, that was my thinking. That's the amount of faith I had at that time. And I sat back at the office, and I, I'm like, Lord, what are you going to do? And about four hours later, I get a call from the realtor, your house is under contract. I ended up selling it the day before I owed my next mortgage. You know, you say, God is good. I really was sick that month. <laughs> I felt like I lost a lot of weight in that time. You look at that, and you say, God was good. And that was exciting. In fact, we got to the place where they were closing. And I, we've never done this since. But we sat there while the people buying the house were, were buying it. And when they got there, they found out their interest rate had gone up because they bought two days into the next month. And they were asking to get out of the sale. And they look at me, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying a thing. I told them, I can't afford to get rid of it. And so we sold the house. And I was pretty confident it was legally done. But my wife and I get in the car, let's get out of here in case they change their mind. We weren't sure. And when you look at these things, you say, from the human mindset, it's so easy for us to see this doesn't make sense, or how does this work, or why would God do this? And all of it we can look when it seems like everything's falling apart, that we can just stay close to God and trust that God knows what He's doing. And if anything else, we can learn more about Him in those times. 
Recognize his voice. Recognize what he's doing. And I'll tell you, and I'm saying this in my life for the last couple of years. I don't just randomly say this. I'm telling you this personally. I've learned this. If anything comes in my life that puts me on my knees, it's a good thing. God has had to put me on my knees in a lot of different areas for prayer. And it's those times that I, it's a good thing. It's a good thing what God is doing. It doesn't seem good at the time, but it's good if I allow God to do what he is. I don't know if there's things in your life right now where you would say maybe things feel like they're falling apart. And humanly speaking, they might be. If I'm able to give this to God and allow him, and please understand, I think we need to do our part. You know, I can't say, Lord, I need you to give me $1,000, but I'm not going to go get a job. You understand there's some practical things we need to do. But if we're doing our part, my dad used to say, I got to do the possible, let God do the impossible. So if I'm doing the possible, then I need to now just hand the rest to him and let him prove himself in this time. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time you've given us tonight. I thank you for the privilege I have been able to have to stand here and to share your word. Lord, I do not take it lightly anytime I had the chance to open the Bible, and I pray tonight that you would use something I would say as an encouragement, as a help. I pray, Father, that we would be able to see you in a time when it seems so dark and seems so hard. Father, that we'd see your hand. Lord, sometimes we have to look back after it's all done to see your hand in the midst of it. But Lord, we know you're there because you promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Father, I pray that you would help us in whatever situation each of us may find ourselves in. We can become consumed. We can become frustrated and wonder if you have stopped caring for us. At least that's what Satan wants us to believe. The Father tonight, may we be reminded that you promised to be there. You promised to walk with us. And it's not always going to work the way we want it to, but it'll always work the way you know is best for us. And I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to see you in the midst of even the hardest of times. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.